struggle to understand like just the basic idea of how flows work. Hmm. I don't know. I think for me, it's as we start getting into the real critique of uh, representation that is essentially, I mean, this entire book, but really starts coming together in the next two sections, not even the fourth chapter, like the next two sections. Um, it's so dense and everything basically coalesces around their critique of capital. And it's it's just so many things that it calls back to that need to be re-explained and re-explored and looked at a different way. And it's a whole fucking thing. It's a whole thing. I don't know. We'll give, a, we'll give everyone a few minutes to join, though. To see if we get more than five people. Welcome, Vivian. Yeah, I've always appreciated the post-structuralists, or at least like Deleuze, Foucault, Baudry. They seem to, to align on one thing, if not um, beyond those three. The way out of capital is through capital, right? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... Did you just say something accelerationist? I don't think it's accelerationist. I think that I I really I get a uh, and and at some point we need to have this discussion because I want to talk with like people who really have a different opinion on this. Like D&G outright say that nothing they say the line in this book nothing ever died by its own contradictions. Like I don't even know if there's a more anti-accelerationist take than that. That well Fair, but that's also anti-Marxist, right? And that's the, their big thing is that the contradictions of capital will undo capital. No, it's, they literally say nothing ever died by its own contradictions. Right, that's, that's the, if I'm not mistaken, that's, that's them criticizing hardline Marxism and in a certain sense a, an adaption from Hegelian ideas. Because I don't know acceleration as well as y'all, but I know that that's right there is them criticizing Marxism. Nope, capital capitalism has learned this and has ceased doubting itself. While even socialists have abandoned belief in the possibility of capitalism's natural death by attrition, no one has ever died from contradictions. The more it breaks down, the more it schizophrenizes, the better it works. The American way. That's not a critique of Marxism. That's saying that's literally anti-accelerationist. Well, accelerationism hadn't even happened yet, but and that's what I mean. I don't know that field well, but yes, that I do believe that's a critique of Marxism because a very standard vein of thought in Marxism, and, and I saw this when I was at a socialist conference a few years ago, is that the internal contradictions of capitalism will um, undo it. That's the but that's accelerationism. Like that is the nature of accelerationism that you continue to push forward and the contradictions of capital will undo it. It's, it's the running theme. It's the kind of, of running with Marx to its end. But like, again, like the idea that it not, they literally say this and they talk about it extensively that contradictions don't necessarily destroy anything in a thousand plateaus. If contradictions did destroy things, then schizophrenizing would absolutely be self-destructive as well, because schizophrenizing is about contradictions. 
but I think that the the, the pro or at least the reaction that accelerationism has, because of course it is it is also um, uh, referencing Deleuze and and Guattari, um, or I mean not not every single writer in the movement, but a lot of them do reference it, because Deleuze and Guattari also lay out so well how at some point there is nothing that we can that that there's it's really difficult to have things that are not in relation to capital. And so I, there's a sentence that says, uh, so you, so you, the, the quote that you just read is basically saying the master's tools will not um, uh, break down his house. What's the quote? Um, and then there's this accelerationist idea of Sure, maybe the master's tool will not tear down the house, but what if there's no other tool than the master's tool left? Like, the, I think that's the sort of the, the, the pessimistic interpretation. Well, that's the Landian. Of, that's Landian accelerationism. Like, basically, go as hard towards not only just fascism, but destruction as you can, and we'll have to figure something else out. Uh, no, no, but I think it doesn't have to be ex as extreme as Landian to have... A thought like this where you think like okay okay sure i want to do something about neoliberal capitalism but the only tools that i can use to do something about it are neoliberal capital tools and not like not like i can as in i want to but like these are those are literally the only ones available and i i don't know if i agree with this 100 percent, but i do get where people are coming from when they say that I get because the impulse. Like I'm not dis again. I'm not disagreeing with yeah. the impulse. Just there's a lot of lines. It Deleuze and Deleuze has been called like you know the father of accelerationism by some, and other people have you know pushed this idea that they were both hard accelerationists, and obviously their stuff spawned a great deal of that vein of thought. To me, there's just a lot that they talk about in here that I don't see how the principle follows, and that they even talk against the idea of self contradiction being destructive, like. Yeah, but funnily enough, maybe the, the contradiction that then Deleuze said that also didn't kill the idea of accelerationism. The contradiction never killed anyone also applies to the accelerationist idea within Deleuze's philosophy, I think. Right. Well, that and that would, I mean, that, but that would make the point that contradictions can't kill things. Therefore, like, it's just, it, it's, it's worth having a longer discussion over. I definitely have a, maybe a different opinion uh, than on many, but I'm, uh, Definitely, it'd be worth discussing. But uh, for now, we'll go ahead and uh, go ahead and kick off uh, because we do have a shorter and uh, thank God easier chapter this week. Uh, prepare yourselves for next week. Uh, but I'll kick off. Uh, hello, and thank all of you for joining us at the Deleuze and Guattari Quarantine Collective's ongoing reading of Anti-Oedipus. Today, we're going to be going into Section Three Dot Eight, the Erstate, the Erstat. Erstat, Erstate, whatever, the Erstat, uh, which is luckily shorter. We're going to be having a whole other set of discussions around a little bit more uh, next week. This should be a little bit easier. I don't have a major set of announcements today. I'm kind of mostly skipping them uh, because it's pointless for the most part. <laughs> but I do want to suggest anyone here, please jump up to Divagations in the uh, DGQC section. Uh, we are putting on a little conference. We'd love all of you, all of you who are hearing this, uh, would love to have you join. 
and be a part of this and take part in what we're doing. Uh, it would be wonderful and lovely. All right. But that, with that, I think we'll just kick straight into uh, uh, 3.8, which is the Urshtat. Uh, again, easier section. Uh, I think a lot of it is really crisp and clear, and as such, it's also shorter. So many graces befall us today, even though there's a decent amount of Orientalism in this. That's fine. We'll, uh, we'll make our way through it. Uh, as always, if you have questions, don't hesitate to... Uh, Yell at us and say so. Don't hesitate to write something in the Antiedipus chat or in the YouTube chat or wherever you happen to be. Uh, we are around. Uh, but I'll go ahead and give it a read. The city of Ur, the point of departure of Abraham or the new alliance. The state was not formed in progressive stages. It appears fully armed, a master stroke executed all at once. The primordial Urstadt the eternal model of everything the state wants to be and desires. Asiatic production, with the state that expresses or constitutes its objective movement, is not a distinct formation. It is the basic formation on the horizon throughout history. There comes back to us, from all quarters, the discovery of imperial machines that preceded the traditional historical forms, Machines characterized by state ownership of property, with communal possession bricked into it, and collective dependence. Every form that is more evolved is like a palimpsest. It covers a despotic inscription, a Mycenaean manuscript. Under every black and every Jew there is an Egyptian, and a Mycenaean under the Greeks, an Etruscan under the Romans. And yet their origin sinks into oblivion, a latency that lays hold of the state itself and where the writing system sometimes disappears. It is beneath the blows of private property, then of commodity production, that the state witnesses its decline. Land enters into the sphere of private property and into that of commodities. Classes appear inasmuch as the dominant classes are no longer merged with the state apparatus but are distinct determinations that make use of this transformed apparatus. At first situated adjacent to communal property, then entering into the latter's composition or conditioning it, then becoming more and more a determining force, private property brings about an internalization of the creditor-debtor relation in the relations of opposed classes. So if we go back, uh, the, the city of Ur, uh, is actually worth looking at. It's in Iraq now, I believe. Um, it's, it's this idea, this first paragraph is simple. It's this idea that the state is not something that slowly grew over time, that like Lacan would talk about language, that you enter into it wholly, that there's no such thing as partially being within language. Uh, the same would be true of the state. There, once the state exists, its core basic form here, the Asiatic production, uh, Asiatic production being the state organizing small fiefdoms, kingdoms, tribes inside of its control for a larger organization. That structure uh, isn't distinct, is not unique, is not one thing over another. It's not over time it shifts in lots of pieces, but instead comes at us instantly full force as a core form of organization of larger societies. Um, they... The form evolves, changes slightly, but ultimately uh, comes back to the way that this first sort of state, the Urstadt, formed and how it, how it functioned. Uh, it's kind of the first half of this paragraph. 
Any thoughts, questions on that? Am I wrong? I'd love to know if I'm wrong. This one is, again, I think a little easier, and there's a lot of really good secondary literature I've read, so I'm, I have some confidence. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, I would I would say, as I read it, it looks like they're reworking some Jungian uh, psychology here. Because when you read the Earth stat, one's reminded of um, Jungian archetypes. And this is interesting because um, there's an important condition that makes the Earth stat possible, right? So we know that the earth stat, if we follow the losing lottery, the earth stat was not formed in progressive stages. It appears fully armed, master stroke, executed all at once, right? So it just kind of shows up in a sense. But why does it show up? And then they will, you're right, what's the condition for it? The previous sentence, the city of Ur, the point of departure of Abraham or the new alliance. With the shifting of the Socius to a despotic, one uh, finds the conditions for this archetype, or this, whatever we like to call this, the Erstat, um, to actually not only be possible, but to take over, um, well, I guess we'll get to what it does, but to basically make the, uh, the despotic operations of overcoding possible. Um, no, I think, I think you're spot on, Jack. Um, and again, I think it's, a, it's an easy start here again. This is, this entire section so far up to this point, this chapter has been about defining out and building out that universal history. Uh, this idea of uh, how contingent smaller bits, how the machinery we live in today has been built piece by piece, some pieces getting left behind, others growing. And the, the Erstadt is a unique one as there is a, as a representation, as a, as a level, as an organization, it just pops hard into existence. And and as such, it kind of sits there underneath everything, and it and it it starts affecting everything sort of uh, full force right away. The second half of this, uh, which I really think is important to go through, is uh, the beneath the blows of private property, then of commodity production, that the state witnesses its decline. Land enters into the sphere of private property and into that of commodities. Classes appear as dominant classes emerged, but are distinct determinations. The, these elements slowly sink and become part of and are organized differently, uh, sort of within the Urstadt in different ways that the state instant, in, has instantiations. But ultimately, they this is what the state does, is organize these things and handle these things and sort of give rise to uh, at first situated adjacent to communal property then entering into the latter's competition or continuing it then becoming more and more determining force private property brings about an internalization of the creditor debtor relation this the very concept of private property stems from this larger urstadt and and how it op, how it sort of works in the the latency uh with which the despotic starts to play because ur itself I had this the last time we went through this Ur uh, as a sort of location and as a base of uh, all of this is really this classic Sumerian uh, city-state. And it was, I mean, God, 4,000 years, 4,000 BC? One second, let me pull up the page. Uh, because it's kind of important. Uh, when Ur was founded, the Persian Gulf's water level was two and a half meters higher than today. Ur is thought to have marshy surroundings. It's, uh, again, uh, uh, generally speaking, uh, Iraq. Um, the 
whole setup behind all of it and how it sort of operated is so fucking old. It's just wild. The city, said to have been planned by Uranamu, was apparently divided into neighborhoods, with merchants living in one quarter, artisans in another. Streets wide and narrow, open spaces for gathering, many structures for water resource management and flood control. Houses constructed from mud bricks and mud plaster. In major buildings, the masonry was strengthened with bitumen and reeds. This, the division of all of this, when we start talking about, again, here, uh, 4,000 years BC, uh, houses, the districting of labor, uh, the movement of people into different areas, uh, all of that being done at large, planned by Urnamu, I'm probably, sounds like a comic book villain, but uh, actually is a, uh, the founder of the Sumerian Third Dynasty, a uh, big major leader. <laughs> um, uh, and he, he built state, like he, he did that. He created the, one of the first legal codes, I think, maybe the first legal code we know of. Uh, this is the, the emergence of, and it's why they use the term the Urstat. It happens to be Ur, the first, the primordial, the beginning also happens to be the first state as we know it and as has existed since then. And that's a lot of what they're getting into is that there's this second part, which is there's a, as this emerges over time, what, what enables the latency? Well, it's literally the next paragraph. I'm going to just jump to the next paragraph unless anyone has any comments or questions. Yeah, just, it's, it seemed like, uh, the city of Ur is painted as a, a sort of um, uh, what what you could consider a co communist planned economy state. I think central economy is not a, a more planned for sure. I don't know if I'd say necessarily communist. I'd have to dig really deep into the setup, but it's it's more yeah, it's sorry. more yeah. it's yeah. more towards uh, the primitive. Again, these these are. We didn't have primitive one day, despotic the next, and then capital the next day. Like, things don't happen like that. And that's, again, part of their universal history. The pieces of these things grow and ebb and flow. And so as we move from the, the uh, primitive to the despotic, the state is part of that journey and the creation of the state. And it's, it's literally actually the next part because, um, I mean, it's, it kind of gets into the next paragraph, but it's, what what is the setup uh the ancient city state which is a very commune based setup why does it why does it push things um uh, rocket test nailed it it's uh the notion of markets at this point didn't exist yet so it resembles communism it resembles would be the big sort of emphasis word there um so it feels like it i guess you could also say right okay that makes sense i think maybe after the next paragraph i have another question Yeah, and I, uh, Jack, I think yeah. you're. Sorry, please, Jack. Yeah, the, yeah, the notion the uh, at the end where he ends that uh, that uh, paragraph with uh, creditor debtor relation that is internalized. Um, is that uh, that's a um, is that a transformation of the uh, master bondsman relation, or master slave relationship, and so the classes these the relation between the different classes are are kind of devolved into this, um, you know. This kind of, um, you know, master bondsman. Um, I mean, it's possible. I'm not super familiar with that. Uh, I think more this is a reference specifically to when they were talking about the primitive 
and how the creditor-debtor relationships were deeply dynamic and were constantly, you know, built up and then expelled and 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 expended and and that setup was very much almost a one-to-one across a society, very rarely like upwards or downwards in terms of class mobility. Whereas with private property, suddenly you had a internalization of literal class dynamics. Uh, again, when we start talking about how Ur was planned, uh, Ur itself was planned, houses were constructed, people were put in different districts based on the work that they did with different levels of niceties or nearer to the palace or nearer to that. So suddenly this the creditor-debtor relationship, which worked differently before, now had this new dynamic. Not only was there like now a commodification of property, which is weird in and of itself, but the privatization meant that this creditor-debtor relationship uh, became applied to these classes. And that shift is a, is a significant one. Right, because you're moving from debt relations to credit relations. Um, Ragadest asks, uh, what is Asiatic production exactly? Um, I mean, there's a whole Marxist thing on it. My very simple version would be, uh, once upon a time, there were lots of singular tribes. Asiatic production is the shift from being only working within your tribe to being ordered on high by someone far away who says, you, your village, you build rocks. You, you village over here, you move the rocks to village three. Village three, you you carve them. Village four, you move them to place X. Village five, your job is to place them and build a giant wall, uh, which is, I think, the example, actually, they use a few times. Um, that is what they call Asiatic production. Uh, we might call it uh, planned economy or central planning um, as a concept. I mean, there's more to it a little bit than that, but I think that's a simple version. Anyone want to add to that or correct me? I guess I'd say, I think the coming paragraphs will help us open up a little bit more. Um, in a word, I think of Confucius when I think of Asiatic production, or like the greater, uh, the later uh, empires and that. Um, but of course, there's, there's a point they're making here, which is um, that the earth stat's not only a uh, condition by the uh, despot Sosis, right? That's a condition for the, the earth stat to happen. And as we'll see, as um, as it carries into capital, right? It'll be even more critical. Um, a few things to highlight here would, I, I think, be that the Erstat uh, serves as a horizon, right? So it is, in a sense, the limit, which we'll see later on, um, where the, the limit of capital associates will be the BWL. So we'll see some things start to shift there. Um, don't jump ahead too far. Add, That's a big jump. That was just a big jump, my friend. Let's stick with the Urstadt right now. <laughs> a big jump. Well, I mean, that, that, that is... That's it's where we're aiming. It's where we're aiming, yes. Because that point about the horizon, I mean, that's them setting up the limit of the despotic socius, which is going to be the Urstadt. But then the question becomes, right, if we want to look at Asiatic production, not for what it is in the account uh, standard of Marxism, what does it do, right? It would be that one, the establishment of this limit and its condition, and two, the kind of like Brooks was saying, right? Asiatic production is where we start to see privatization of land and commodities, right? 
where classes become possible as opposed to, I think it was CAS in the previous um, socios. But we start to see uh, that transformation taking place and something's happening with the death instinct that they're just highlighting here, right? Uh, they write, um, this would be my last point. Uh, let me see here. It is beneath the blows of private property then of commodity production that the capital S state witnesses its decline. Right, so we're starting to see that um, the Erstat, at one hand, it's it's doing this overcoating process, right? Which is why we get like a peeling back the layers of paint almost, right? The black, the Jew, the Egyptian, the Mycenaean, the Mycenaean, the Greek, right? There's like all these imprecations going on. Uh, and then on the other hand, one of the things the Erstat and the, the state it produces are dealing with um, is going to be, uh, I suppose, in a simple word, the death drive, right? It's it's encounter with that. Well, no, you're, you're, I, let's let's get through the rest because now we're starting to jump towards the end of the chapter as well. And I'm I'm let's try to keep right where we're at right now. We're just discussing uh, uh, the the movement of the creation of the state, how, how it plays, how it works, and how it sits underneath these uh, extra states or city states that were created, and the creation of private property that changes the creditor-debtor relation in the relation of opposed classes. I'm going to continue right to the next paragraph. Sorry to interrupt, Jack, just that was a lot, and I want to make sure we're getting through this bit by bit, because it uh, we could literally just keep diving, um, but I'll continue. But how does one explain both this latency into which the despotic state enters and this power with which it reforms itself on modified foundations in order to spring back more mendacious, colder, and more hypocritical than ever? This oblivion and this return. On the one hand, the ancient city-state, the Germanic commune, the feudalism presuppose the great empires and cannot be understood except in terms of the Erstadt, that serves as their horizon. On the other hand, the problem confronting these forms is to reconstitute the Erstat insofar as possible, giving, given the requirements of their new distinct determinations. For what do private property, wealth, commodities, and classes signify? The breakdown of codes. The appearance, the surging forth of now decoded flows that pour over the socius, crossing it from one end to the other. The state can no longer be content to overcode territorial elements that are already coded. It must invent specific codes for flows that are increasingly deterritorialized, which means putting despotism in the service of the new class relations, integrating the relations of wealth and poverty, of commodity and labor, reconciling market money and money from revenues, everywhere stamping the mark of the Erstat on the new state of things and everywhere, the presence of the latent model that can no longer be equaled, but that one cannot help but imitate. The Egyptians' melancholy warning to the Greek Greeks echoes through history. You Greeks will never be anything but children. Yeah, uh, and this is exactly what I was um, highlighting, right? That on the one hand, the Erstad is encountering, um, the, you know, like a death drive, right? There's the the crumbling of the state, right, or as we say more colloquially, the crumbling of the empires, right? The uh, from Rome today to ruins tomorrow, yeah. Um, so you're seeing that on the one hand, but then on the other hand, you're seeing how the Erstat actually 
comes with also a latency or what they're calling an oblivion here, right? So you've got an oblivion and a return. Um, so you're seeing how with, with that encounter of like the state crumbling and then returning, right? With the earth stat and its return to the state, we get this um, potentiality for latency, right? So they're, they're drawing a Freud there. I think what they're, they're driving at here is with this latency, right? Um, and with, with, with its relationship to something like the death drive here, overcoding no longer becomes enough, right? So it's not simply enough that um, you've got this kind of uh, layers of paint, right? Underneath the Jew, there's an Egyptian, and uh, underneath the, the Greek is an Egyptian, right? Uh, it just so happens here. But I think you've got to go even further here, right? Which is to say that what the stat makes possible is also not just that uh, that overcoding, but the breakdown of code. So we're starting to see more toward deterritorialization happening here, where um, it becomes possible now for um, let me see. I guess to focus on a quote. Uh, for what do private property, wealth, commodities, and classes signify? The breakdown of codes, the appearance, the surging forth of now the coded flows that pour over the socius, crossing it from one into the other. Right. So this is the the great fear of the socii at this point is the decoded flows, or more specifically non-coded flows. And here we have the Erstat actually kind of mingling with them. They go on. The state can no longer be content to overcode territorial elements that are already coded. It must invent specific codes for flows that are increasingly deterritorialized, which means putting despotism in the service of the new class relations. And there's a long list here, right? But what that means is the horizon, the limit of the world, the limit of the associates and its, um, all of its potentiality, right, is going to be put into service of um, mitigating the decoding that it's actually causing, right? So on one hand, the earth stat is overcoding in that. On the other hand, it's now creating uh, deterritorialization, where we're starting to see this problem of death and latency. But now the earth stat actually has to, and this is where the earth kind of comes in, the earth stat still has to deal with coding, right? And so you have those two operations that I think they're, they're trying to um, highlight right here. I have two questions. Um, the first one being more about understanding one of the later sentences about uh, stamping the mark of the Orstad on the new state of, of things. Can I paraphrase that as like the Orstad legitimizing deterritorialization? Is that a fair par paraphrasement? I think there's a lot of ways you can take that. I, my first immediate reaction would be actually that it's doing its best to become a quasi-cause, um, uh, saying that it's, it's the one doing the thing, owning it, uh, the same way the American dollar is called the American dollar, or uh, wherever you have the Russian ruble, the, uh, the British pound, the, this idea that the state is the one backing it, or the state is the one doing it, or owning it, that that's the stamp it's 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 playing symbolically like one of the things that yeah. they talk about a great deal is with codes and how codes are sort of controlled 
there is a nature inside of the primitive and the despotic where uh, code flows are controlled through codes, through symbolic codes, like this this symbolic organization or symbolic uh, nature of oppression, I suppose, the creation and organization of social production through these symbols, I think is a big deal to those sort of sides. It's, it's a, it, it plays through that sort of setup of this like qualitative control around uh, social production and the control of flows. And it feels like that's pointing in that direction, at least to me. Yeah, then that kind of also brings me to my second question, and that is, I simply don't completely understand, but this is, I think also in other parts of the text, why, like how private property, wealth, commodities, and classes are a breakdown of codes or a deterritorialization, um, because as laid out in the same paragraph, um, relations of wealth and poverty are co are codes, right? The, the, there's a recoding that happens, but we have to think about it from, uh, think of it as the position of the or the state, the Erstat, uh, sort of sitting back and able to look through 4D time, for example, and is going back over the primitive and the codes that are set up there are very hardcore. Like as we talked about it in the, in the primitive socius, shit is really rough on people. It is very particular. People are what they are. Everything is very much matched up and imminent to what's happening in, they grab kind of anything. It, the hunters are right up against the real. The desires of what I have are coded right up against what is actually happening. The change over time that happens as the despot comes in, there is a decoding and recoding of a lot of these things as we move from not a communal property. You would never have a conversation around property. That's not a thing in the same way that Oedipus and mom and daughter or incest is not a thing inside of the primitive. Things are coded so purely that now we're recoding them. But that, that code of properties breaking down, now it's private property. So it's a symbol that we use to control this or that. Well, what is exactly private property? Like, actually give me that. Well, it's, it's these other symbols that it's reliant on. It's, it's a chain of signification. The same is true of wealth or commodities or classes. These things are absolutely the breakdown of codes. And here's the state here trying to do its best to recode or overcode or, or recontrol this. The, the surging oh, forth of now decoded flows that pour over the socius is, is the sentence that comes next. And I think that is the line here, the state can no longer be content to overcode territorial elements that are already coded. It must invent specific codes for flows that are increasingly deterritorialized, which means putting despotism in the service of the new class relations, integrating the relations of wealth and poverty. The, the, the old joke, heavy be the head that wears the crown, the king doesn't control the classes. Like it, he can't one day go, excellent, no more classes. He's in service to them as much as anything else. There's a weird setup that these symbols and these rules and these codes are actually the things that are running it and controlling it. That's the recoding of things by the state. But so when they say here uh, in italic, the breakdown of codes, 
it's not necessarily the breakdown of the idea of all codes, but more the breakdown of the codes specifically that they were there before private property. Yeah, the codes are disintegrating and being reformed into other things. But now one thing that didn't exist, which like the concept of communal property, which was just everything is kind of everyone's, but there's a lot of rules that we have to deal with imminently. Now it's like, cool, this is communal property. This is personal property. This is private property. This is public property. And here's how that kind of works. And I've got to deal with that shit. That is a breakdown, a disintegration of the clean code to four things, 10 things, 100 things. And then now feel free to have a conversation with literally anyone about what any of those things mean. And you're going to get a billion other answers because capital is a whole fucking different beast than despotism for a whole other thing. But I don't want to get into that. So I think this is, again, the these these decoded flows are now just going nuts and going wild. And the states here basically to put these things in control. It integrates the relations of wealth and poverty, of commodity labor, reconciles market money and money from revenues everywhere, stamping its own mark on the new state of things. This is America. This is Britain. This is Rome. This is this is who we are. This is the setup. This is the thing. This is, this is the state, the Urstadt. I, I just find it really difficult to, uh, to visualize the deterritorialized state without immediately envisioning the re-territorialization. Well, it's uh, because it always happens it, together. It, you, right, okay, yeah. so they, they, they just go together always. Yeah, it's, the line they have is uh, deterritorialization happens with the left hand, re-territorialization with the right. Like it's, okay, right. they're right next to each other. It's they, You can't just have deterritorialization. Uh, it's just pure unraveling. Okay. Sounds me like uh, this uh, describing kind of a cycle of um, of uh, you know occurrence that occur uh, that happened in the ancients, uh, you know, between the state, private property, you know, and these kind of uh, debtor credit uh, relationships that uh, you know you could say that are you know repeated um, maybe throughout the uh, history in different societies and. Um, and it's going to be, you know, back to our modern capitalism, which is, uh, you could think of it in those terms that, um, that it's, uh, you know, it's going through a kind of a similar process. I know I heard someone else wanting to jump in there, so I'll leave it open for a second. Was it you, Jack, wanting to jump in? Or maybe Seraph? Hmm? Yeah, I was just saying that, the, you know, um, uh, you know, what he's describing, you know, like, uh, you know, classes and private property is just exactly what's what uh, what our modern capitalism is like. And um, and there is this, how he describes these kind of, um, you know, communal relation, uh, relations that occurred, but then it gets transformed. And you could think of it uh, in modern terms, right? Uh, well, what's um, what's happening. Absolutely. Well, and, and they're wanting one of the big things they're doing here is they're trying to pull apart from the socius the state because one of the great challenges i mean just in leftism in general is understanding that the state isn't what does everything like there's this very simple conceptual representation of power that is oh the state is the economy america is all of these it's like look there's pieces of all of these things that are functioning they're the social machines that are part of this entire nightmare that we're living in. It's not just like this one thing. Like right now, our problem isn't just capital. 
It didn't used to just be the despot. We got this other shit. We got all these things from representation to the state. And the state itself has its own sort of machine nature, what it's pushing for, what it's trying to do, what it wants to get, uh, how, how it functions that we need to understand as part of this. Because in order to have a real grasp, to me, this is my interpretation, in order to have a real grasp of this universalist history that they're wanting to pull us back through, we can't just assume every, like, Everything is one gigantic one, yes. But when we go back, we can't just assume that the economy and state and power are all part of the same mechanism. They're fucking not. Um, they're all different bits. And here we're breaking down and separating out the bits that are part of that move as we move towards the state, as we move towards Asiatic production and how it just so happens. We still have that 6,000 fucking years later there's this consistency. It's almost a transcendental state that is, is making its way through and how it functions and, and how it's made its way through early on is by seeing these decoding flows and in that process of almost being terrified of them, doing its best to recode and cover them up. Yeah. So you're saying that the, these different machines that operated then are still, um, you know, in uh, operating today, you know, we have, uh, you know, capitalism and socialism communism and uh, private property and uh, you know state property and so forth and, and those same machines are still you know with us today right yeah I, I i feel like that's spot on i know the last time i should go back and re-listen the first time we went through someone knew what the quote uh you greeks will never be anything but children had a just we had a wonderful ramble about exactly what it meant and it backed up what i'm saying here but i need to go back and find it it's worth re-listening maybe uh, but i'm going to continue to the next paragraph um, the special situation of the state as a category oblivion in return has to be explained to begin with it should be said that the primordial despotic state is not a historical break like any other of all the institutions, it is perhaps the only one to appear fully armed in the brain of those who institute it. The artists with a look of bronze? That is why Marxism didn't quite know what to make of it. It has no place in the famous five stages. Primitive, communism, city-states, feudalism, capitalism, and socialism. It is not one formation among others, nor is it the transition from one formation to another. It appears to be a setback set. It appears to be set back at a remove from what it transects and from what it resects, as though it were giving evidence of another dimension, a cerebral ideality that is added to, superimposed on the material evolution of societies, a regulating idea or principle of reflection, terror, that organizes the parts and the flows into a whole. What is transected, superseded, or overcoated by the despotic state is what comes before, the territorial machine, which it reduces to the state of bricks, of working parts, henceforth subjected to the cerebral idea. In this sense, the despotic state is indeed the origin, but the origin as an abstraction that must include its differences with respect to the concrete beginning. We know that myth always expresses a passage and a divergence. The primitive territorial myth of the beginning expressed the divergence of a characteristically intense energy, what Marcel Griol called the metaphysical part of mythology. 
the vibratory spiral in relation to the social system in extension that it conditioned, passing back and forth between alliance and filiation. But the imperial myth of the origin expresses something else. The divergence of this beginning from the origin itself, the divergence of the extension from the idea of the genesis, from the order and the power, the new alliance, and also what repasses from filiation to alliance, what is taken up again by filiation. Jean-Pierre Vernant shows in this way that the imperial myths are not able to conceive a law of organization that is imminent in the universe. They need to posit and internalize this difference between the origin and the beginnings, between the sovereign power and the genesis of the world. The myth constitutes itself within this distance. It makes it into the very object of its narrative, retracing the avatars of sovereignty down through the succession of generations to the moment when a supremacy, this time definitive, puts an end to the dramatic elaboration of the dynastia. So that in the end, one no longer really knows what comes first, and whether the territorial machine does not, in fact, presuppose a despotic machine from which it extracts the bricks, or that it segments in its turn. Let's start with the part that's in italics. It is not one formation among others, nor is it the transition from one formation to another. The idea of the state being one element or one formation, or any of those things being one formation among others, uh, or being the transformation from one to another. Instead, sitting back, given evidence of another dimension, a cerebral ideality that is added to, superimposed on the material evolution of societies, this, this assumed larger concept that a society needs to organize itself around, this is... I have a whole interpretation around this. I haven't seen other places. I'm going to, because I love this section. It's a big deal to me um, because I think it's where we start getting really interesting. I'll leave it open. Jack, anyone else want to take a crack before I dive in for my other take? Um, I suppose. I mean, the big thing they're getting at in the beginning of the paragraph is that, and this is where the Jungian part is, is important too, right? There's a difference between the capital S state and the earth state, right? There's a difference between how the state functions um, in its territoriality as an apparatus, if you like, and the, the sort of archetypal element or the earth state that forms the horizon, um, making that state or that uh, altogether despised socius, right? Completely. It's, a it's uh, to the state. Just real quick as an example, it's the difference between the Oedipus complex and actually having, you know, and actually the Oedipus complex, this large idea that is, uh, you know, everyone has it, it's, it's base, it's innate to all of us, or the fact that some people do have that. There, there's a difference between the actually functioning, desiring machines being broken in that way versus this uh, larger conception and demand and uh, determinant command about how we should behave. That's the difference I well, see. That I, I, no? I think I follow. If, if what you're saying is that um, there's a difference between the limit and what the limit makes possible in the apparatus, right? Or there's there's, the, there's the difference the between that. 
there's a difference between the actual functioning thing and the representation we demand a thing be in the shape of. It's, it's less a representational issue for me because, um, especially because it, it, it's so interesting how it functions with associates. Um, the thing I'm getting out of it is more so that the place of the state is uh, is conditioned upon the the earth's that right, and the way that the, the despotic has its reciprocation with the earth stat um, includes the processes of overcoding and um, in the same vein, right, a deterritorialization problem that brings back uh, the necessity, well, that uh, reaffirms the necessity of coding, right, which is why it's going to transect the earth. What the earth um, does as mega machine, the, the despotic still has to deal with in the earth stat seems to be part of what's going to be, since it's a limit, right, what puts that codification into process. Um, and so as I'm seeing it, the, 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 I mean, especially with the cerebral ideality, what they're getting at is the introduction of, if you kind of take the hall and squint, right, it's the, it's the signified, right, we're moving to a mental, to an internalization problem um, because of what's happened to writing and speech how they've changed here so to me the, the this section deals a lot with uh, sort of a push towards understanding that the state uh to kind of what i was trying to say earlier that we have the state like america is a country i'm not going to say that there's no such thing as a state like but there is an assumption that this is how states have to be it's uh the line they open with uh the special situation of the state as a category, oblivion return has to be explained. To begin with, it should be said that primordial despotic state is not a historical break like any other. Of all the institutions, it's the only one fully armed in the brain of those who institute it. The artists with a look of bronze. This idea that the despotic uh, is one sort of exceptional formation of the state and that all the others are oh, it's different setups, or maybe it was a transition of one form of state to another. They're saying, no, there's an underlying thing that's happening here, a, a myth uh, to sort of what you were talking about with the, the Jungian in the setup. Uh, the, the myth that is being called between all of this, the first thing that happens, I think they say, is the, the myth of, uh, the imperial myth of the origin expresses something else, divergence of this beginning from the origin, the divergence of the extension from the idea of the genesis from the order and the power, the new alliance, and what repasses from filiation to alliance and what is taken up again by filiation, this, this idea that any state is actually a different state. Uh, it's not. They're all part of the Urstadt. The this underlying demand of how we need to have society organized uh, came about from Ur, nailed it. The despotic knew exactly how to handle it. Since then, it's been kind of crumbling and having a few issues, but it's still the state and the or this this larger conception of the state uh, continuing on uh, to to continue to read towards the end there, just because I think it bolsters my point. So that in the end, one no longer 
really knows what comes first and whether the territorial machine does not in fact presuppose a despotic machine from which it extracts the bricks or that it segments in its turn. The, the nature of the, the myth of the Erstat, this, this sort of unending natural organization of the production of society in a very particular way, at some point, and I think that's fair now, we don't really have the ability to say which came first, not chicken or egg, but instead uh, primitive or despotic, because they rely upon each other uh, in order to sort of exist. The territorial machine itself presupposes a despotic machine from which it extracts the bricks or the segments in its turn. Is it the state or is it the despotic? They come hand in hand because the state is the machine. The state is the apparatus. Uh, the assemblage through which these other things function. I said it wrong, it's not primitive, it's state. Uh, state and despotic. They kind of function next to each other very effectively. This paragraph I find brilliant. I, I, please, if anyone else has a different take, I'd love to hear it, but the, the line that I think matters here, and maybe we can keep moving on so we don't get stuck on this, but the line that matters here is where it says the ter territorial machine uh, which it reduced to the state of bricks of working parts, henceforth subjective to the cerebral idea. The, in this sense, the despotic state is indeed the origin, but the origin as an abstraction that must include its differences with respect to the concrete beginning. We know that myth always expresses a passage and a divergence. Primitive territorial myth of a beginning expressed the divergence of a characteristically intense energy, Book Real called the metaphysical part of mythology, the vibratory spiral, the social system and extension that it conditioned passing back and forth. But the imperial myth of the origin expresses something else, a divergence of this beginning from the origin. The, the play there I feel like they're making here is, is pushing very much towards the state as an assemblage that we don't know that we have, kind of. Maybe I'm misreading i'd love anyone please correct me on any of this but it's uh it's what i've been really stuck on whenever we read this it happened last time and it happened uh about two months ago when i did a side reading of this it's a, the the imperial myth and uh, we'll come back to it i do want to keep reading does anyone object to moving on that's fine maybe we can take that up at the end because I'm having a little bit of trouble um, putting it all together in my head. So maybe we can talk about it more and um, take yeah. that perspective and see how it, it fits with this, uh, this um, section. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have a longer discussion. I think it's worth it. All right, to continue. In a certain sense, it is necessary to say as much in regard to what comes after the primal state in regard to what is resected by this state. It supersects what comes before, but resects the formations that follow. There too, it is like an abstraction that belongs to another dimension, always at a remove and struck by latency, but that springs back and returns stronger than before in the later forms that lend it a concrete existence. A protean state, yet there had never been but one state. Whence the varia variations, all the variants of the new alliance, falling nevertheless under the same category. 
For example, feudalism not only presupposes an abstract despotic state that it divides into segments according to the regime of its private property and the rise of its commodity production, but the latter induce in return the concrete existence of a feudal state in the proper sense of the term, where the despot returns as the absolute monarch. For it is a double error to think that the development of commodity production is enough to bring about feudalism's collapse. On the contrary, this development reinforces feudalism in many respects, offering the latter new conditions of existence and survival, and that feudalism of itself is in opposition to the state, which on the contrary, as the feudal state, is capable of preventing commodities from introducing the decoding of flows that alone would be ruinous to the system under consideration. I'll read the footnote in a moment. And in more recent examples, uh, is this entire paragraph, is this whole page the paragraph? Am I doing it right? Because sometimes this PDF screws up. Yes, that's correct. Jesus. It ends right at the top of 221 with of course. in the brain, you're and in more recent examples, we have to go along with Wittfogel when he shows the degree to which modern capitalist and socialist states take on the characteristic features of the primordial despotic state. As for democracies, how could one fail to recognize in them the despot who has become colder and more hypocritical, more calculating, since he must himself count and code instead of overcoding the accounts? It is useless to compose the list of differences after the manner of conscientious after the manner of conscientious historians, village communes here, industrial societies there, and so on. The differences could be determining only if the despotic state were one concrete formation amongst others to be treated comparatively. But the despotic state is the abstraction that is realized in imperial formations to be sure only as an abstraction, the overcoding eminent unity. It assumes its eminent concrete existence only in the subsequent forms that cause it to return under other guises and conditions. Being the common horizon for what comes before and what comes after, it conditions universal history only provided it is not on the outside, but always off to the side the cold monster that represents the way in which history is in the head, in the brain, the Erstadt. To read the footnote, well, Maurice Daub has shown how the development of commerce, of the market, and of money had very diverse effects on feudalism, at times reinforcing serfdom and the whole array of feudal structures, studies in the development of capitalism. Francois Hunker, Hinker has elaborated the concept of state feudalism, to show how the French absolute monarchy, in particular, maintained the productive forces and commodity production in the framework of a feudalism that did not end until the 18th century. That's one thing I've always appreciated about this section, is that the pains they're taking to, at least as I read it, right, feudalism itself is not a form of capitalism, which I believe does align with like a contemporary economic theory, but that is really critical, right, because what what will happen with something like mercantilism or more so like full-on capitalism that uh, in a sense displaces the despotic and altogether reconfigures the Erstad in its role, right? It hasn't uh, taken place yet. Well, yeah, and I think a big section of this, uh, this 
the stuff that stands out to me here is, uh, again, going back and saying that there is this thing sitting there uh, on the sidelines, uh, apparatus perhaps of sorts, that is sitting sort of haunting all of these elements off to the side, the cold monster that represents the way in which history is in the head, in the brain, the, the reorganization of these elements, the thing that remolds history in order to control it and to recode it and place it into these states that, that is ultimately the thing sort of waiting that is able to place us into our location from leader to subject, for example, in the class structure, or is able to sort of organize and code flows properly. There's a element that's always sitting there as it's continually uh, the thing that's doing it. The, the feudal state, uh, for example, their, their entire conversation here is like just to again to go back because Marx has the the setup where he talks about the different states that come along the different types of states and they're very clear in saying no 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 we're step back like we're actually going to be taking those on the five stages there's primitive communism city states feudalism capitalism and socialism those five are his it's like no those are Let's break them apart. There's actually underneath all of that, ever since Asiatic production hit, ever since Ur was created, we have this weird state thing that's been hanging out and is part of how we organize all of production, and it really hasn't left. Uh, you could say it's almost an Oedipus of society. Um, if you want to regard society as one large collection of its own desiring machines, perhaps. Um, and that I feel, I feel that's towards their critique here as they're talking about this, that the, the despotic state is the abstraction that is realized in imperial formations, to be sure, only as an abstraction. It assumes its imminent concrete existence only in the subsequent forms that cause it to return under other guises and conditions. It's a sitting there waiting, finding other ways to pop up, to sit. Um, Rocket Test in the chat is talking about. So capitalism supposedly started in the 16th century. French monarchy kept feudalism in its raw form to the 18th. The, when capitalism started as a thing, uh, like there isn't a day, and it's a series of parts to what we know today and what capitalism will be uh, 10 years from now or 100 years from now uh, will be different. Hopefully fucking gone. But hey, you know, let's figure out maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Um, uh, the parts of what make capitalism are kind of where we start getting into in a, in a bit. But the idea of the state is something that has been around. There's, there's no uh, you know, series of states. It is, it is one state that we've basically been living under since Ur. Forever. It's Ur. Questions, comments on that paragraph? But it's all about what made her possible, right? What makes this category possible? Marx recognized that there was indeed a way in which history proceeded from the abstract to the concrete. Quote, 
The simple categories are the expression of relations within which the less developed concrete may have already realized itself before having posited the more many-sided connection or relation which is mentally expressed in a, the more concrete category, while the more developed concrete preserves the same category as the subordinate relation." End quote. The state was first this abstract unity that integrated sub-aggregates functioning separately. It is now subordinated to a field of forces whose flows it coordinates and whose autonomous relations of domination and subordination it expresses. It is no longer content to overcode maintained and imbricated territorialities. It must constitute, invent codes for the decoded flows of money, commodities, and private property. It no longer of itself forms a ruling class or classes. It is itself formed by these classes, which have become independent and delegate it to serve their power and their contradictions, their struggles and their compromises with the dominated classes. It is no longer the transcendent law that governs fragments. It must fashion as best it can a whole to which it will render its law imminent. It is no longer the pure signifier that regulates its signifieds. It now appears behind them, depending on the things it signifieds. It no longer produces an overcoating unity. It is itself produced inside the field of decoded flows. As a machine, it no longer determines a social system. It is, its, it is itself determined by the social system into which it is incorporated in the exercise of its functions. In brief, it does not cease being artificial, but it becomes concrete. It tends to concretization while subordinating itself to the dominant forces. The existence of an analogous evolution has been demonstrated for the technical machine when it ceases to be an abstract unity or intellectual system reigning over separate subaggregates to become a relation that is subordinated to a field of forces operating as a concrete physical system began as an idea, a way to organize and handle the production underneath it of multiple disparate conglomerations of people, and over time hardened, concretized, became the thing, the shape, the necessity that even the machines no longer being under its control now utilize it to manage the flows and the coding overall. It's no longer content to overcode maintained and imbricated territorialities and must constitute invent codes for the decoded flows of money, commodities, and private properties. It no longer of itself forms a ruling class or classes. It is itself formed by these classes, which have become independent and delegate it to serve their power in contradictions, struggles, and compromises with the dominated classes. I love this section. Sorry, my brain's going places. Uh, does anyone have questions on this? This is a, uh, obviously uh, going through here, talking through Marx and the nature in which uh, the concretization of the state has happened, how it moved through time, how it went from the core idea concept all the way through to the actual physical systems that we know today more than we knew back then, the, the, the form of such things. Um, 
As a machine, it no longer determines a social system. It is determined by the social system into which it is incorporated in the exercise of its functions. Again, uh, and maybe I don't, don't need to explain it a second time, but I just really like that phrasing. Uh, JK, please. Yeah, was, uh, I think he's just basically saying that uh, the state uh, originally was an abstract um, idea to, uh, you know, regulate and, and uh, integrate um, the, the flows of money and power, um, you know, free trade and so forth. But then it became um, a tool by the, um, by the people with power, with more power, with more surplus value, um, with, the, um, with the ability to, to uh, control um, these flows. And uh, you have, you know, for instance, lobbyists in Washington uh, paying off politicians, politicians, you know, uh, in the pockets of these uh, of these corporations, um, you know, um, and controlling um, pretty much controlling what the state policies are regarding how uh, money flows, right? And uh, basically, it would sit that that's our situation today, where you have one party that's um, totally in the pockets of uh, the corporations, and they're just paying them off and. And they're they're even in the Supreme Court, uh, and uh, you know, they're, the the state is now controlled by the dominant classes. Uh, you know, and it's and it's the line in there. Uh, it's no longer the transcendent law that governs fragments. It must fashion as best it can a whole to which it will render its law imminent. the The shift is from. Uh, as we talked about earlier, the moments of, uh, hey, what does that say? Who's who's the emperor? Who's ruling over you? I don't know. Yeah, it turned out they may be dead. Like the, they might be dead. We're on to the next one. It doesn't matter. I still do what I'm told. Like that setup is something that has again matured over time and changed to now where we don't really have such edicts or rules or setups that we need to obey, and we kind of just do as we're told. Instead, uh, the state has worked to make its laws and its reality imminent to us, where we actually, uh, we need to, we'll be getting into how capital does this and plays with debt and plays with these elements again. But the one, the way that the primitive work that was so very, very effective um, was making the desires of what we did imminent. It did it generally through terror through fear, through pain, through these other elements, a lot of awful shit. If you want to go read some of the some of the some of the formations, but over time, as that became a different setup, suddenly it's on high. We're getting orders. the 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 state needed to move away and did move away from literally having this transcendent law that governs fragments to instead creating a whole that itself governed uh, and made the made the laws and the rules of this whole imminent to the experience of all the different pieces. It's such an amazingly powerful thing to say. Uh, I keep equating it back to Oedipus uh, because the way Oedipus functions as an example is through a paralogism that doesn't do something drastically different than that, but make uh, the way that it functions imminent and deforms us. Um, the, the nature of how it's talking about here and the shift here from uh, this pure signifier that regulates signifieds 
instead now appearing behind them, depending on the things that is signified in its place. There's a, there's a lot to be said there for how that shift has happened over time. The idea essentially moving to the backdrop as the machinery that it forms slowly becoming so powerful that the people who were effectively ruled by it are so ingrained within it that they continue to keep it moving. Uh, once upon a time, the state owned and ruled over all the classes. This wasn't like a like some classes were said no, they absolutely were ruled over by the state. Over time, the shift kind of put them in a position of power, and rather than you know eliminate the state, uh, instead they basically utilize it to delegate their power. And as such, the state now concretized moves to the background and sort of smiles as this this mass of people. Uh, this this subjected group keep it alive and keep the parts moving as it kind of just sits there and keeps an eye on shit. The concretized form of it. I, I guess I would have to uh, pose a criticism to what JK has posed, um, which is that I think we risk going a little bit too far into, um, if not intentionality, then um, a little bit too deep into consciousness, which is kind of coming into play here where we're seeing terror and reflection starting to intertwine as well as the abstract in that. Um, so we are, we are seeing some of that, that, you know, where we start getting problems like intention and, and um, some of the more classical problems in classical philosophy, right? Um, so I guess I would uh, pose that here, with with questions of intentionality and that, right? We're still trying to understand uh, what would make it possible, what conditions, what starts to put together the configurations for intentionality, right? As it will be produced, right? Um, among other things, right? Which is where they're getting at with the signification, right? The the Erstat, um uh, is less a question of, I, I think, obviously, it's, like, it's a less question of signifier and signified as opposed to a question of how it affects signification, um, especially as we've moved into the so-called head, so-called brain, right? The way that um, Artuthia with the despotic in that, right? We're looking at how the new alliances, um, insofar as we're going to deal with representation in that, we're looking at how the new alliances and the extended affiliations are going to be um, contingent for the constitution of any intentionality, any reflection um, that's going to be possible here, right? Um, before it even gets taken at a conscious level and somebody runs with it. Um, I don't uh, know if they had banks back then. But, but this is why I, I think it's fair to equate it to something like Oedipus. Oedipus, uh, I don't, my dad never like yelled at me and said you need to be oedipalized i never got you know went to a psychoanalyst and had it happened it's a thing that happened by just existing how we exist today i we have man woman child and the way things and representations are formed it's not so much that oedipus is like wanting it to happen but oedipus has effectively been concretized the same way in the unconscious where it kind of hangs back the forms it takes and the people around it and my desires play into it enough to continue to manufacture the parts of it that it needs and to continue the machine work inside my head. In the same way, it's here is the state sitting and waiting and 
there's the different ruling classes or the different social machines, desiring machines being the sort of molecular equivalent of such a thing, that allow this to be essentially a mirror of that. The state being this uh, large-scale representation that over time becomes concretized, but itself the idea sitting in the backdrop now utilized by the social machines uh, to continue to produce. It doesn't need necessarily an intentionality because there is always a, a movement in a direction thanks to the nature of desire and desire pathways and flows. So to me, it's, this, is the, this is more of that allegory of we're talking about on the one side the molecular, the other side the molar. The, the rules kind of apply to both. Uh, there's not a lot where it's like there's a direction to both that sort of push towards the subject in a lot of ways. Uh, but this is examples of how that happens and the directions that they push back and how the society pushes oedipalization and representation down in. But subjects utilizing their oedipalization pushing upwards create the state. And it, the state exists as much real as Oedipus does. I guess I would say if we want to work in Oedipus, I mean, like 216, 215, 217, where they're, they're going into some of the things Oedipus does during the despotic, you know, I, I think we would need that, right? Because there's a way in which we have to take the pains to work out the Earth stats relationship to Oedipus. Um, and for me, I focused more following Deleuze and Guadri here on the new alliance and the extended filiation, which is critical for how Oedipus is going to function. But they haven't exactly, yeah, and in this section, they're not really going to, they're not going to really um, hack at Oedipus here. Um, so we'd have to do some work, I think, to connect how Oedipus and the Erstant um, co-mingle. I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying they necessarily commingle, but and maybe I'm making my point poorly. More or less, I'm talking about the nature of the state, uh, utilizing the social machines uh, to organize in a very specific way until they're effectively hardened and unchanging and concretized, and then stepping back and allowing the social machines that are a part of it, which includes subjects, the different classes, different people with different pre-conscious desires, to continue to create it and give itself a place. As it says, it uh, how do they phrase it? Ceases to be an abstract unity or intellectual system reigning over subaggregates to become a relation that is subordinated to a field of forces operating as a concrete physical system. The, the idea made real through repetition of the apparatus that it is a part of. Uh, and that is literally the same thing as how, <laughs> and like that is how Oedipus works within the, uh, within the unconscious. Like the, the entire chapter two is essentially that critique and the, the way that production is, production of desire and desire production functions in that same way over time, hardened towards representations, representations then fuck with further representations and move things into very specific plates and concretize them until we believe that we exist Lo and behold, the state exists. There's a, there is, I don't think it's a wild uh, thing to say that there's some kind of relationship or mirror image of that uh, across the subject divide between molar and molecular. Well, let's, let's keep going. We have one paragraph left, and then we can finish discussing. Um, so let me, let me yeah, just punch. Just, please. Ask a question about the, uh, that statement at the end of that one paragraph, where it says, you Greeks will never be anything but children, are they? 
Uh, is he kind of making a kind of a a uh, sarcastic remark about the Greeks who thought that they could establish this kind of uh, democracy that uh, in which um, you know everything is going to be fair and and uh, and continue on the same way? What was um, so they were kind of naive about thinking think of that then when in fact um, you know this this is the, the kind of process that's already at work in that uh, society where the um, you know where the state was going to be um, you know uh, maybe taken over by the uh, by the opposing you know by the classes that are and then the dominant classes will 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 take you know will be in control right it it's not exactly sarcastic um though it does kind of slap you in the face i, I think they're sincere when they they quote the word warning because um how i read that is the greeks don't realize that they're doing as the egyptians do and did right um and yet at the same time they believe just like the egyptians would that they are doing something um sort of uh new and that they've made a break right which is your despotic um you know and that's the, the historical break in that the, the the Greeks, um, like anything else here, right? The Jews, the My Mycenaeans, the Phoenicians, and that they pointed out, because of the process of overcoding and that, um, the deterritorialization and the recoding, the reterritorialization processes, are not exactly lost on them, but at the same time, the way that it reconstitutes them, as opposed to a complete absolute, you know, change, like, right, like, like historic history would be just cut off there and all of a sudden everything starts afresh, just like they're saying, uh, Deleuze and Guayer are saying with, uh, the, you know, with the imperial, with the, bar, uh, the barbarian sociocies on that, you have the problem of a beginning um, taking over from an origin or the beginning of the despised socius. Um, and that's kind of what uh, the, the Grial myth and that is getting at, I think, where that um, beginning uh, seems to supersede an origin. So, like, even if you think of like the theogony and the way that the Olympians um, take over from the, the Titans, right? And you've got the Titanomachia and the war against the Titans, you know, in the same way, right? You know, it's tempting to just say, right, they've become the Titans. Um, but at the same time, they, they are doing different things. But what they miss is the uh, the continuity of the socius and the way that the the two operations of deterritorialization and overcoding, right, which implies uh, the coding processes of the uh, of the earth and that um, is being on one hand, right, they, it's it's in in progress, it's being used and all of that, but on the other hand, it's being kind of um, uh, almost taken for granted. Let's the 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 line uh, varied. I don't think I'm disagreeing with you, Jack. I didn't fully follow a lot of what you said. I'm sorry um, because it's a, there's a lot that said there. I'm still processing, but the line specifically is the Egyptians mocking the Greeks that they don't have thousand year old traditions. That the things that they're doing and the way they're going about it, they will not have forward moving sort of continuity, as you said, the continuity of socius or the continuity of state or whatever it may be. It's the way that the the earth's not needing to continually reinvent itself based on, you know, whatever's happening or decoded flows. As such, 
creates these breaks, the, the oblivion in return, the, the, the shifting the, of meaning, the symbolic meaning. And that line between the priest and Solon is intended to be the Egyptians mocking uh, the Greeks for that. Because the Egyptians have this one long, giant story that they all know, and they have traditions and all of that, and the Greeks uh, comparatively didn't. Right. And so the Greeks, uh, you know, um, democracy and so forth, uh, gave way to the Roman Empire, you know, and so it really basically it comes down to a shifting of power, right? From one, um, you know, um, you know, maybe dynasty to, to another, and it's like a cycle. You know, I think of, uh, you know, the dynasties in China, you know, shifting from one to another. It's just a, you know, a, it's, it's, it looks like a repetition of, this, of a similar cycle. And I think you're on the right track there. I don't think it's about the shifting of power in that. If we go back to the usage of the first principles of paranoiac knowledge, right, the process of deterritorialization in that, um, which is kind of what you're getting at with your circle, that's where I think you're the especially where they, um, in, in, in what they're quoting, that could be a, um, a mockery, but Deleuze and Guadri also um, considered a warning, right? Which is that in this process of establishing a new alliance, one only reaffirms the first principles of paranoia knowledge that make, um, that make the former new alliance and the, the continuation of a new alliance possible, right? So with your, with your circularity, um, with your cyclicality there that with the process there's a question of how it's how it's operating right and one of the critical ways it's operating is through this first principle of paranoiac knowledge that is providing um, a continuity through the earth stat right at a, at a higher well i should say higher at a, a more shall we say um uh shall we say perhaps refined level um, that is making all this possible and working on the instantiations that uh, will follow. So with the Greeks and the Egyptians, in either case, you know, you've got the empire, you've got the democracy, um, you've got all these different configurations that happen throughout their histories, right? Greece goes from empire to democracy. Uh, Egypt has its own um, mainstays as far as uh, state organizations go. But in that there are state organizations, the Erstat is implicated here. And I think that's what's lost on the Greeks as much as it was probably lost on the Egyptians is that in the, in the, in the nice part, right, the, the first principle of paranoiac knowledge does suggest that you are making a complete break and that things are radically changing. However, it's a reconfiguration of the Erstat through the principles of latency and um, I think it was latency and Overcoding, I think it was how they said it in the first paragraph. Sorry, oblivion and the return. That's what it was. That's 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 what you're and that's where you're getting your cyclicality from the oblivion and the return. Right, there is that consistency. And just to jump in, the uh, the story is actually from Platonic uh, dialogue, uh, story Plato's telling between Solon and an Egyptian priest. Uh, Solon visits uh, in Egypt, and uh, they asked him, oh, please tell us about blah, 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 the history. And uh, the quote is, uh, just to read straight away, uh, he made and made the discovery that neither he, Solon, or any other Hellene knew anything worth mentioning about times of old, 
on one occasion, wishing to draw them on to speak of antiquity, he began to tell about the most ancient things in our part of the world, the Foreneus, who is called the first man, and about Niobe, and after the deluge, and the survival of Duke Helion and Pyrrha, and he traced the genealogy of their descendants and reckoning up the dates, tried to compute how many years ago the events of which he was speaking happened. Thereupon one of the priests, who was of a very great age, said, O oh, Solon, Solon, you Hellenes are never anything but children. There is not an old man among you. Solon asked him what he meant. I mean to say that in mind you are all young. There is no old opinion handed down among you by ancient tradition nor any science which is hoary with age. Uh, just to sort of expand on that, because it just follows what Jack was saying. I believe it does. Jack, does it? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're right. So you like you have this fascination at one point in history trying to find a unified like religion in a sense, right? It's kind of the same thing here with the state where you have all these different instantiations of the state as a category, which is made possible by the Aristotle insofar as it has these processes of oblivion and return. So, right, it's breaking down and countering the deterritorializations of that, that it's actually made possible in a certain sense. And at the same time, it's dealing with the overcodings and codings that it now has to invent, or invent, excuse me. And so, right, when you move, when, the nice thing about that platonic illustration is like, you know, in a sense, it is wry, right? That is like a, a slap in the face in a certain manner of speaking. But at the same time, um, it does make a point that, you know, what, what Solon is talking about um, is in a sense different from what's going on in Egypt and what they have there. But in another sense, is, is, is kind of the same process of its formation, right? Because it's working through the same category. It's working through this, um, the Erstat, which is going to instantiate, um, just like we saw on, right? From this ancestor to that, right? First we had uh, an empire and now we've got democracy and democracy's not working out. So we're gonna try an oligarchy, right? Those different movements, just like they happen differently in Egypt, what's consistent there is going to be the Erstat. And I, I, as I'm pointing out here, I'm highlighting the first principles of paranoid knowledge or the way deterritorialization and reterritorialization is actually taking place um, in relation to that category of the state. Before anyone says anything else, I'm going to read the last paragraph so we can at least then bramble for the next half hour if we like. But isn't this tendency to concretization in the social or technical machine precisely the movement of desire? Again and again we come upon the monstrous paradox. The state is desire that passes from the head of the despot to the hearts of his subjects, and from the intellectual law to the entire physical system that disengages or liberates itself from the law. A state desire, the most fantastic machine for repression, is still desire. The subject that desires and the object of desire. Desire, such is the operation that consists in always stamping the mark of the primordial erstat on the new state of things, rendering it imminent to the new system in so far as possible, making it interior to the system. As for the rest, it will be a question starting again from zero. The founding of a spiritual empire there 
where forms exist under which the state can no longer function as such in a physical system. When the Christians took possession of the empire, this complementary duality reappeared between those who wanted to do everything possible to reconstruct the Erstadt from the elements they found in the eminence of the objective Roman world, and the purists, who wanted a fresh start in the wilderness, a new beginning for a new alliance, a rediscovery of the Egyptian and Syriac inspiration that would provide the impetus for a transcendent Erstadt. What strange machines those were that cropped up on the columns and tree trunks. In this sense, Christianity was able to develop a whole set of paranoiac and celibate machines, a whole string of paranoiacs and perverts who also form part of our history's horizon and people our calendar. These two aspects, <clears throat> these two aspects, these are two aspects of a becoming of the state. Its internalization in a field of increasingly decoded social forces, forming a physical system. Its spiritualization in a supra-terrestrial field that increasingly overcodes, forming a metaphysical system. The infinite debt must become internalized at the same time as it becomes spiritualized. The hour of bad conscience draws nigh. It will also be the hour of the greatest cynicism. That repressed cruelty of the animal man made inward and scared back into himself, the creature imprisoned in the state so as to be tamed. To read the last footnote of this, which I'm going to do very quickly, uh, which is a footnote that covered uh, the ones that people are calendar. In this regard, Jacques Lachier has called attention to the figures and the moments of Christian asceticism Egypt, Palestine, and Syria, starting with the 3rd century. First come gentle paranoiacs who install themselves close to a village, then withdraw into the desert, where they invent astonishing ascetic machines, expressing their struggle against the old alliances and filiations, the St. Anthony stage. Next, communities of disciples are formed, with a military discipline where the monk reconstructs around him in the forms of ascetic and collective constraints, the aggressive universe of the old persecutions, or the St. Pacomius stage. St. Pacomius stage. And finally, the return to the city of the village. Armed groups of perverts who assign themselves the task of struggling against the dying paganism, the Schnaudi stage. More generally, concerning the monastery's relationship with the city, see Lewis Mumford, who talks about an elaboration of a new form of urban structuration in terms of monasteries. Uh, that's the end of the footnote. Uh, comments, notes on the last paragraph, and then we can d dive into the larger thing. I'll, I'll open up. Um, the first half of this, because there's a second half as well that pushes towards Christianity as an example, but the opening here to talk about uh, the movement of desire, the concretization of social or technical machines, to go back a few steps to when J.K. brought up intentionality or the way the state wants to be or things like that, um, it seems they're saying something very similar, perhaps not directly with intentionality as though it were conscious, but it's, again, to talk about the movement of desire, the pressures, the way things push very much they say here, the state is desire that passes from the head of the despot to the hearts of his subjects, the intellectual law to the entire physical system that disengages or liberates itself from the law, 
a state desire, the most fantastic machine for repression, is still desire, the subject that desires and the object of desire. <laughs> right. And, and then it does get an intention of that. But the, the move I see there is that um, by reaffirming that this is a, um, a question of desire, right, uh, they're taking it out of a rational question, right, where this is like, you know, why do people intend, um, I guess the, in a nutshell, why do people intend despotism? Here it's more how does desire function to produce, um, well, in its production and its producing of uh, despotism, right? So on one hand, the, you know, the unconscious doesn't produce, um, you know, the paralogisms and, right, the, the paralogisms act back on the, the unconscious and then affect production. But yes, I, I agree with you. It's, it does move it back into, or it does remind us that even though we're dealing with the abstract, the mind or the heart, um, you know, but more especially the mind and the abstract and signification, it is still a problem on question of uh, desire. Well, it makes me wonder, uh, again, when we talk about the functioning or the actual functioning of this, uh, and why I keep going back to Oedipus as a, an allegory, sort of a mirrored anti-allegory, or that the state is an anti-Oedipus, uh, um, this idea of desire pushing down from the very top of the molar, this I like in that direction, the desire passing from the head of the despot to the hearts of his subjects, uh, that conception of the molar, and then opposite that saying desire moves from the organs of uh, the subject to the head of the subject effectively. Uh, and in between is where we have this wonderful, interesting sort of clash. It feels as though they're playing towards sort of, um, I don't know, are they playing? There's a scene in Dragon Ball that always happens. He's got his big giant fucking laser and then whatever enemy has the opposite color and they're mashing at each other and then it's just about which one is stronger. Is this like, is this like that, that it's desire one direction and then the other and whichever manipulates the best or utilizes the best comes out the other side and where those things collapse? I'm making a meme about this later. Where those collapse, that's subjectivity and, and how we actually act in society. I'm memeing that. That's going to have to be a fucking picture. I mean, that's like all of Dragon Ball Z, right? It's always who has the bigger um, uh, Saiyan blast or the larger Saiyan hair, right? Uh, not to make it Freudian. But yeah, I, I think it's even more consistent than that, though. Um, if there isn't any counter counterposition, right? If there isn't... Because we do still have the braids, right? We still have, um, you know, the move, the, the, the oblivion and the return. But and, and, uh, I, I think in all of that, right, you have an intellectual desire as much as you have an emotional desire, which breaks down the traditional... Um, the idea that anything happening in the head um, would be like rational, right? And then there's, a, you know, like a, an irrational component that kind of is more emotional or that, uh, you know, in some of the more the basic conceptions of classical philosophy, right? That the head has to govern the heart, right? That kind of thing. That all kind of, I think, breaks down here where I think the heart would be as capable of rational thought here as the. Uh, as the intellect, the mind, the mind, the rest, but if you like, even um, 
is capable of and actually produces uh, desires, right? I mean, there has to be one question. If not, that's fine. I'm more than happy to allow this to sort of close out. Uh, anyone, I'm open. So is he saying that the common to all these different kinds of, uh, you know, social systems, um, uh, hierarchical systems, it, it comes, it's, it's basically um, comes down to the despotic um, state, right? State of desire. I, I, I think the argument would be made that uh, in the same way that a lot of stuff within society can come back to, I'm going to keep coming back to Oedipus as my example for this. Uh, Deleuze and Guattari would never say that everything comes back to Oedipus, that Oedipus does things, or Oedipus, Oedipus is a construct. Oedipus is a series of parts, a lot of them, granted. The state, similarly, uh, isn't like a thing that exists. It's a representation or an assemblage that does stuff with a shitload of very complex interrelated parts. I think their argument here in this section at a top level is saying that in a similar way to how and how Oedipus uh, sort of has sat behind and parts of it have organized over time that we have this underlying Oedipus, uh, not the one we know today, but this underlying piece that's kind of haunting and now coming to fruition. Very early on, there was almost this opposite thing happening at the social level where there was a creation of this thing called the state that, that again, early an idea that was able to sort of get some people to organize together as that idea hardened over time and concretized, now it's assumed to be the base nature of everything. And it's not the same exact state. It's not identical to that. The despotic state was kind of a state par excellence because it put the state in a position of absolute and total power and control in a very different way, eminently with the controls of the despot. Uh, as they say, the state uh, desire is that of the despot. The despot's desire goes to those underneath them. In the same way, this pushes towards that. So it's the pieces of the state started then. Underlying all of it has been this thing that's been haunting. And now we've gotten to the point where we're at with capital. But underneath it all are all the pieces of this, uh, of this total state, this totalizing state that is continuous. I think, is, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so the, uh, just a, uh, like Oedipus is uh, is a product of the social order, uh, which is this uh, this despotic uh, state of desire. Uh, Oedipus, um, you know, is um, you know um, somehow you know becomes part of that, right? And he himself becomes the a you know despot and uh, realizes you know the kind of uh, yeah, and, but the despot, despotic state continues even after his fall. You know, but, um, but yeah. So, it, it's, you know, uh, throughout all these different changes of different types of, uh, of social systems, there is a kind of, uh, you know, um, the primary flow or, uh, or structure is a kind of uh, this uh, despotic state, right? Uh, with its desires that uh, that that uh, you know codes everything. Uh, two things there. Oedipus comes with the the perimeter, right? To your to your question, like how does Oedipus kind of get here? It, it comes with um, the primitive, right? But it it changes, right? In the primitive, we have different 
we have a different uh, configuration of representation and its repression, right? We've got, for instance, the aunt and the uncle are, um, are implicated, whereas with the despotic, I think we're starting to kind of shift away to that, shift away from that, um, though we're not quite at the nuclear family yet either. It'll be more like, I think, the, the question of the, despot, uh, the despot's family, the, or the family that's um, implicated on that, right, because we have to deal with the Aristotle here. Um, as to the second one, or as to the second point, insofar as we're talking about the despotic socius, yes, we are talking about um, despotic configuration. <laughs> I can't see See, what I mean, though. It's always, it's always who has the bigger blast. Um, uh, anyways, or the bigger hair. Uh, anyways, uh, insofar as we're talking about the socius, yes, we're talking about um, different configurations of the state that the earth stat makes possible. But that will be different from the way the primitive engages um, in a barrier term social formations, right? And the way that capital, um, especially in its way of its relationship to the earth stat, how social formations will be possible there. So the Erstadt is the is the the model, the um, he says the uh, primordial model, you know, for these. Uh, it's the eternal model of uh, of every 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 everything the state wants to be and desires. So it's it's a it's the eternal model for all these different uh, forms of. Uh, of uh, society, different forms, different kinds of states, uh, you know, um, democracies, even capitalism, you know, feudalism, and so forth. There, there, the Erstat is is the is the model for all these different uh, types of states, right? It does feel like it that there's a it is the concretized form of the different uh, forms of socius and the instantiations of it. And in, in the same sense, we don't have there's no state that has ever been the despot or we don't live in capital land, I guess, like obviously. So there's these instantiations and as they take place in the same way that no one is Oedipal, everyone is Jack or Brooks or JK or Misha. Like we have the names and we have the setup and the way that it's organized and what we call it. And this is the concretized version of, uh, or the way that these things sort of get organized um, as a continuous process of essentially subordination i guess i'd say yes with one caveat which is that um the primitive didn't necessarily have these kind of state configurations although as they point out here there's a caveat to my caveat which is that um since the aristotle is the point of departure and the horizon right it's at once it's a mutually constituting limit for this break and the its instantiation, and later um, it's going to be swept up in the next break, right? It seems like it's very difficult to work out things in the primitive without at the same time having to deal with at least trying to bracket out the um, the despotic, right? Well, it's just like you said, Oedipus was, uh, was uh, started out as a primitive, right? Um, but his destiny was to become, you know, who, who he was fated to be, right? Um, so he, um, he eventually, you know, participates in that social order, the symbolic order of a state. And, you know, um, 
lives out his destiny. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Um, certainly the Oedipus is augmented and despotic, right? It takes on, um, and this is in part because of the way that the alliances and affiliations are, um, that one, make Oedipus possible in the primitive, and the way that uh, non-coded flows will also make Oedipus possible. And the, the way that that carries over into despotic and actually augments it, where Oedipus um, begins to actually um, develop, right? They, 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 I think they even call it like a germ, right? You almost have this imagery of Oedipus as a germ, um, you know, uh, reproducing, right? But also kind of like a Delta variant, if you like, or the way that um, a disease today becomes like a more than a disease tomorrow, perhaps a virus, if you like. Oh, Roger, Baroon. Roger. Varun, we're talking about the Urstadt. Hi, guys. I don't have much time, but I just came in to uh, listen to you guys. So here's a question then, since uh, you two, uh, since we got you here. Uh, thought, uh, Urstadt as a concept is uh, operates on the molar uh, to work against and control and moderate the desire of the as they say the despot or the the desire that's real on the molar side in the same sort of way that we're talking about oedipus doing so on the molecular side the instantiations of oedipus change may change over time parts and pieces we now have one ridiculous form of it but it's become concretized huh huh jan hmm wait this is too fast for me you know you need to you need to like slowly get me in all right. Uh, and, and that's the thing. It's for, for questions like this, you know, the Erstat would be the original form of the state, like the, the essence of it or like the germ or whatever, like the, the seed that is behind it. And it, that's the idea that has always been there in the potential. Um, and then, you know, it's being actualized. Uh, the, the way you formulate the question, I'm just going to re-question the question. Uh, in in the sense that you're asking if the Erstat is limiting the power of the sovereign in the same way that Oedipus would be uh, inferring on desire. Not limiting power, uh, just modifying desire and playing with representation in the same way at the molar level that the Oedipal does for the molecular. I guess if we go back, to the Spinoza's starting point of, you know, original chaos, like everything is one and the same and that it starts to be differentiating. The Erstat as this abstract machine that is already acting as an idea on the actualization of uh, desire, if we put it back into the context of this, this specific book, would, yeah, would probably act in the same way. But, you know, there's a progression because, you know, it's a lean, linear timeline and Oedipus actually came after uh, the idea of the Erstat. It's already already there in the potential, but, you know, the way it entered the arrangement or the assemblage, um, it was a bit later through uh, agriculture, sedentarization and everything. Oedipus operates inside of the molecular as a representational idea that over time has become significantly concretized, especially in how not only our unconscious behaves, but how we act, how we treat, how we work with desires, the, the way that it creates anti-production within us, and the way that it allows production to flow, it organizes production uh, and forces us towards a handful of uh, sort of significantly hierarchically based power coordinations inside of the triangulation. 
Conversely, we have the state, which over time has, you know, ultimately had uh, its idea and may have gone in and out of vogue at different points, but ultimately utilizes the same underlying assemblage with pieces that have been broken and picked up over time as it concretizes and pushes us towards being triangulated in a very particular way and organizing not desiring machines, but social machines, people, uh, towards very specific goals and ultimately having, as Oedipus does, being served by the thing that it once controlled. I feel like there's a direct allegory here between the molar and molecular and how uh, the Erstat operates. Maybe I'm way off. It's a uh, couldn't help getting that, especially as we read that last that last paragraph seems to say it pretty clearly to me as it talks about how desire of the despot is real desire, desire of the state is real desire, um, and how the state is what regulates that and all of that. As they get into the example of the Christians taking possession of the empire, the debt becoming internalized, how it operates. Uh, the internalization in a field of increasingly decoded social forces forming a physical system. It's spiritualization in a supraterrestrial field that increasingly overcodes forming a metaphysical system. That's feels towards that, at least. Maybe I'm way off. Who knows? Good to have you guys here regardless. Yeah, but to, to make this separation between the Erstat and Oedipus and, um, you know, um, Jake just said, I think the question is, does the Erstat fit the molar and Oedipus the molecular? Um, the, the moment there's a state, there's already a molar there. And Oedipus, in the, the way it structures social relations within the family and within society, it's just not acting at the molecular level, but um, at the molar level as well. In the same way that the state would organize both levels because they're always in tension together co-producing one another right but that's to, to say another way uh, and not being cheeky when i say this because it sounds like i am the state is the in the same way that it's not a mirror but uh, matter and antimatter is an opposition pointing towards a thing uh oedipus and an anti-oedipus a state that pushes the opposite direction that organizes in a very different direction but ultimately are complementary in the way that the the Oedipus, through the way it manipulates desire and controls, ultimately does have impingement upon social machines. And I'm not saying it's like a direct one-line crossover, but the actions it takes, very much Oedipus is in favor of and helps organize towards the state. Conversely, the state, by doing what it's doing and utilizing class and private property and other elements, is helping Oedipus and pushing the other direction and as it goes down by impinging upon the molecular in the way that the state does it's actually doing its part and also the co-creation sort of of Oedipus they seem to be feeding each other in part uh, sort of across uh, the the midpoint if you will between the molar and molecular I, I think I'm with you that they work together because they're both contingent upon the I mean, Oedipus comes in the primitive area, but they're both contingent upon the new alliance extended creation. I think the trick is that they, because they're both caught up in representation and, and especially with Oedipus, um, more directly with repression, although it's you know different than capitalist OCS, as we always have to clarify. Um, I think the trick is that they both operate on the molar and molecular so that you don't have necessarily um, 
a force and a counter force, but you actually have um, the, both the Erstat and Oedipus working with that kind of grid work of the new alliance um, and the extended affiliation, so that they would be um, both affecting the molar and the uh, molecular with each other, which is why, like I said earlier, I, I think you raise a good question. What is, and this is worth diving into, right? How do the Erstat and Oedipus um, co-mingle? How do they work together in that, right? Um, uh, where do they not perhaps align directly? Like you were saying, it's not always clean cut, I'm sure. But I think that probably would be interesting to explore as more directly how they work to um, to affect both the molecular and the molar. I don't know if it's normal that your text keeps switching. I'm trying to read to know exactly where you are and where the question steams from, but it keeps switching from page to page. That is the only way to read Antiedipus. <laughs> All right, I'm going to become schizophrenic and understand everything. <laughs> but I think if you go back to, you know, from the little bits that I can read for the little seconds, um, when they talk about the Christians... You can try actually, again. It's because I had, I had another PDF open and it was doing both of them switching for some reason. I don't know why. Oh, okay, okay. So when they say here uh, at the end of the 2000, uh, 221 page... Um, Stamping the mark of the primordial Erstat on the state, the new state of things, rendering it immanent to the new system in so far as possible, making it interior to the system. So basically, if you're taking the concept of assemblage or arrangement, the moment you know um, the the arrangement is something that prints itself. You know, it it codes in 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 a certain manner, and the moment you enter. Um, this this arrangement, you you start being a part of this uh, whole of relations. So you know you have the the the, the that and then the, the the abstract machine that is Oedipus, which organizes social relationships and taboos and everything, um, will can be joined together into working together. If it was another type of society, it would have been another. Um, form of organization than Oedipus as, you know, this abstract machine that um, creates the boundaries and creates the relation between uh, people in society. But but the Oedipus you're talking about is specifically the capitalist socius because Oedipus doesn't, Oedipus as a thing doesn't just sit there and is the thing that is, or is it, have I been misreading this, like Oedipus is the thing that is always underneath us. But the thing is that it it only exists because it's immanent to social relationships. Social relationships are being organized because of it, and they reproduce it into an ideal form. Right. And so over time, especially, let's say, during the primitive and despotic, uh, Oedipus produced in different ways, not the one that we know. And it certainly wasn't the thing that sort of drove uh, social production in the same way we know now. One of the things they're discussing with the Erstat is that the state at some point becomes produced through the nature of some guy wanders near a series of villages, says, hey, I'm, I, I'm your god, believe in me, yes, we'll believe in you, see, yay, I now have Asiatic production, I control what they do, we control each other, there you go. Uh, the one city's being sort of ordered from on high. There is 
absolutely to me it feels like an allegory there between that and the way representation functions to the subject and to desiring machines, the singular idea that now organizes production, that organizes desires of the subjects that is now happening in a different regime. As such, this instantiation of the state at this moment, this first time that we had it, Perhaps maybe Oedipus is the wrong one. Perhaps I should be going back even further and talking about even the creation of the subject as a concept and that the I or the ego as a thing exists, which becomes the single godhead or the quasi-cause for desires underneath me. In that same way, the state has been produced long ago, shifted over time, concretized, and now basically uh, sits in the background as the machines and parts it's made are utilized by the subjects underneath which it controls. That element, as it's produced over time, it feels like there is a great deal of allegory between it, or maybe uh, like an anti-mirror version, and the way that Oedipus over time uh, sort of has grown and controls my desires as a subject within me. Again, different regimes, different setups, but it feels the same. It was like, Oedipus organizes me. Yes, through me, it or I organize society. Oedipus effectively organizes society, but we're talking about like the production of the society I live in through the subject, through Oedipalization of the subject. This process as desire gets matured out and, and I'm spewing out Oedipus desires everywhere. Conversely, pushing down on me is the larger social machines that are organized in various different ways. Yes, organized via that Oedipalization, but now we also have the state as this other element that's pushing down, and it doesn't directly do so. Instead, it utilizes class, which it invented at one point, and lo and behold, subjects went, hey, this fucking class thing's great, I'm going to keep it around, and is pushing kind of downwards uh, at a different type of repression, but ultimately in service of continuing the same sort of lie, this idea of the I, this idea of ideas of representation and how representations produce things to us that are non-eminent yet still ultimately control us. No, because it, it's a it's a loopy inter- understanding of development, you know, because it's not like just one thing that produced the other. It's one thing that produced another thing that produces another thing that reproduces and co-produces the stuff that. <laughs> produced them at the beginning so it's always something that loops back into like this feedback system that keeps going so that's that's why it's difficult to explain um yeah i mean this is uh the in in a, in a thousand plus those they call this the reciprocal presupposition right between um the plane of eminence and uh, the virtual and this is this so it's uh i mean a simple way to think about it is just there they're reworking the law of causality to one account for contingency and uh, also allow for creativity at the same time, right? So um, in this sense, right, we create the world, but the world creates us in the same time. That's sort of the simplification of the logic that's occurring. And um, this appears all the way back in difference and repetition, right? With uh, chapter four, the use of differential calculus, it's only through reciprocal determination that we come to uh, find the meaning of differential y and differential x i was falling till that last bit and totally agreeing with you i i'll have to go back and re-listen to that last bit well yeah it's pretty much <laughs> it's because Deleuze's reading of calculus is weird right because he takes some influence from the modern developments in mathematics such as rene palm but he also 
he's also like a big believer in Leibniz's system of sticking to the infinitesimal points of the differential equation. So, you know, when you have a curved line, the way to find a curved line is if you put two points together in the line, you put you make it into a reciprocal fact fraction, then you can finally find the value of, of a slope of a curved line. Well, he plays a lot with that. Again, not someone who's a math guy. Logic of sense, he has a lot of these as he moves towards singularities and is playing with the same type of thing as well. He, he makes some references towards that. I haven't read The Fold in a long time, but I remember it from that as well. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one of the points when you're like trying to switch from... Uh... <laughs> Delusion perspective in philosophy and try to operationalize it into social sciences. It becomes a little bit difficult, but you know, we can talk about it some other times. But it's um, the way that social development happens into a society, it's it, it, uh, it responds to this, you know, this differentiation as well. And the problem is to actually try to see how the differentiation happens and how much, you know is being coded and recorded within society of this this moment of difference. Well, and, and, and again, I think one of the big underlying thrusts of a lot of not just Deleuze's work, but Guattari's work is this understanding of, uh, again, when we talk about the two regimes, and it's why I keep harping on this when we come back to the state, is that like the molar isn't like some other thing. It's this is it's just it's just the aggregates. It's the same uh, same rules kind of apply here. That this is the same stuff. The way that, uh, hey, Marx, you, you talked about how production works in society. What if it was the same way in the mind? And like, but that goes the other way. As we start playing with how production works and sub subjectivity is produced, why would we not have the same conversation about the political subject and that at the molar? It's the the rules for one go back and forth, and it becomes a really interesting discussion as we talk through how you know, this has significant moments of, I don't know, for me, clarity, but also kind of leaps forward in having a discussion around how the state, for example, here, by divorcing it from uh, capital, instead of saying we live in capital land, as I was joking earlier, we live in America, we live in a state, but the instantiation of it is not the same as all the other states, nor the original, but underlying it, there's this representation, this thing, this machine that's kind of been operating and parts have fallen off and it's added parts and it's kind of hanging in the back now, but we love using it so much we don't even know that we are. And a lot of that applies to most of chapter one and two. When we talk about how the unconscious works and the apparatuses, we don't realize we're stuck with the fascist within. Well, with that, I, I didn't realize we are still recording. Um, does anyone have any questions on this? Because while you're here, you've got Roger and Varun who, sorry, Jack, I love you too, way better read on this shit than Jack or me. So if you have questions, now would be the time and abuse them while they're here. Or ask one of the questions you had earlier and see if they give the same answer as we did. Don't worry, Roger, it's a quiet group. No one's going to ask a question. I don't think anyone's asking a question. So uh, with that, I will uh, end the stream in the setup. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks for joining us, Roger Varun. Don't, don't run away. I'll uh, hang out for a minute. I'm just going to end the uh, recording and say thank you so much. Uh, we will see you next week as we move into the civilized capitalist machine.